We're continuing in our study in the Beatitudes, and so I want to encourage you again to be thinking with me as we pray and reflect on how these great truths really are a tapestry. They're like uh, something that you've sewn together that has these different threads. They all fit together. You can't look at one without including the other. It's kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, You have to see the whole thing. Uh, One of the things we're celebrating today is Valerie made for her uh, one of our granddaughters, a little costume of a pig, and uh, so our, our granddaughter, uh, she is going to be a little pig today. She, she's already worn it. She looks just, un, uh, she's just adorably, but you know, unless she has the whole costume on, it, Valerie kind of likes, where's this, where's that, you know? And so uh, it, when we think about the Beatitudes, they all fit together, so you could say, well, I'm merciful, but I'm not a peacemaker. You can't think that way because you missed the whole point. Jesus is saying, if you know me and you experience me, then you're going to want to enter into the fullness of who I am as I invite you into my story, as you take my yoke, all these things will be true for you in the way you live your life. Uh, A friend of ours has written a memoir about her life and it's called Hidden in Plain Sight. That's the title of her memoir. Um, And I'm going to do a little play on words here because I think to get at the idea of what it means to have a clean heart, a pure heart, it's hidden in pain sight. So I'm going to use the word pain rather than plain. Uh, I shared with you last week um, uh, about the book Second Mountain by David Brooks. Uh, And uh, he wrote an essay that really sets the stage for that book in 2015 where he talks about the difference between uh, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Now, uh, if you look at the book, and it's an inspiring book in terms of stories of people who've moved beyond living for themselves, and I'll describe that as he does in just a few moments. But he says, first mountain people are people who are ambitious, strategic, independent. They're all about reputation management. They are consumers. Second mountain people are relational, intimate, relentless. And he says they are consumed. So it's one thing to be a consumer. It's another thing to be consumed by something greater than yourself. So here's uh, from an essay that Brooks wrote in 2015. Again, it sets the stage for how God will speak to us today. He said, about once a month, I run across a person who radiates an inner light. These people can be in any walk of life. They seem deeply good. They listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. You often catch them looking after other people as they do so that their laugh is musical and their manner is infused with gratitude. They are not thinking about what wonderful work they are doing. They are not thinking about themselves at all. When I meet such a person, it brightens my whole day, but I confess I often have a sadder thought. It occurs to me that I've achieved a decent level of career success, but I have not achieved that. I have not achieved the generosity of spirit or that depth of character. A few years ago, I realized that I wanted to be a bit more like those people. I realized that if I wanted to do that, I was going to have to work harder to save my own soul. Now, just a quick aside here. 
Uh, I've been following David Brooks for a long time, and, and just you can see as he's writing and thinking, God is working in his life. And so he grew up Jewish in New York City. He's now a follower of Jesus. So it's interesting, right here in 2015, he talks about, <laughs> I'm trying to save my own soul. And maybe you're here today and you're visiting and you don't have a relationship with God and you're trying to save yourself. I want to give you incredibly good news. Jesus wants to help you with that. I was going to have a sort of moral adventure that produces that kind of goodness. I'm going to have to be better at balancing my life. It occurred to me there are two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. Now, if you just Google this later and read about it, people have picked up on this section in the book and this essay and talk about it a lot. The difference between having resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Um, so the resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful. Were you capable of deep love? Were you capable of deep love? I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and uh, early on in my career, I've done a lot of weddings, had the, the joy of just see a lot of people celebrate coming together as husband and wife. But as I've gotten older, um, and at the, this stage of a phase of my life, three score and 10, uh, more people are coming up to me and saying, I want you to do my funeral. <laughs> Would you do my funeral? And I've had the chance to sit with people and prepare and plan their funeral. Uh, and that's a pretty amazing experience. When you sit with someone who knows they're coming to the end of their life or they're facing a chronic illness, and we sit down and we plan their funeral service, and we plan what we're gonna say, and I get a chance to talk to them about the things that I see in them, that I see Christ in them. But one of the things that Brooks says here, which I really want us to hang on here, to here is, would people say about me, I knew about a deep love, or that I loved deeply? Was I capable of deep love? Because that's Jesus' goal for each one of us, to be capable of a deep and unbelievable, incredible love. Uh, to be able to love people so well that they'll see Jesus in us. And that's what blessed in the pure heart is about. Uh, it's actually, the word means a clean heart. So it's not pure in the sense that we might tend to caricature it like a perfect heart, but it's a heart that's been made pure to love. To really love. Um, Soren Kierkegaard has a great line. Many of you know him as the famous uh, Danish philosopher. Uh, he, he's hard to read, but he's worth it if you take the time to read him. But he has this one sentence that says, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Well, here in this verse, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is inviting us to joy. He's saying, you're blessed. The word blessed, makario, means to be intensely delighted in. Now, when you look at the Beatitudes and begin to see how radical they were, I mean, people were in awe of everything that Jesus was healing. He was doing incredible things. He was delivering people. I mean, we read it here in Matthew 4, 23. People are bringing people to him. And all of that was truly amazing. But what they hung on to was what he taught and what the teaching he brought to them. 
because what they heard was, Jesus, God has come to change us from the inside out, to do something so radical inside of us that we are radically countercultural people for the kingdom of God. To really know Jesus is to be in this process of this constant transformation of something that's internal in you that is becoming so different that people look at you when they see you changing and go, where's your evil twin? <laughs> I know you, I don't know the way you normally act, and all of a sudden you are becoming so different in the way you're responding to the same set of circumstances. I mean, you used to just go berserk when something like this would happen, and now there's a whole different way that you uh, relate to the world. Well, um, what happens to us is, is that we begin to understand, as they did in that day, because Jesus is the new lawgiver. He's the fulfillment of Moses. So what a great way to be invited to live a life that God's made for you to say, you are going to know incredible joy. Uh, one commentator, when he's translating these verses, he's going to know, say, you're going to know this unbelievable sense of bliss. You will have so much bliss in your story uh, if you begin to understand how these things tie together. So there's the proclamation of blessed before each one of these paths. This one is to be pure in heart, um, to have a clean heart so that you might see God. But there's the path and here's the promise that you will get to a place where you will see God. Now, uh, we're going to do a little bit of Bible study here this morning. I'm going to take you to a passage. Don't worry about looking it up. Just you'll remember it's Isaiah 30. We had it in our confession, uh, verses 15 through 22. I'm going to show you this. If you have it on your phone and you want to open your Bible, please do. But we're going to look at Isaiah 30, 15 through 22. Because what I want you to see in these verses is it's a fulfillment of what it means to have a clean heart. It is really so, so good. Actually, I've used these verses in counseling with people many times, and it has radically helped them change as a result of what they've seen in these verses. So um, I want you to, we're going to go jump right ahead in Isaiah 30, and we're going to look at this verse, uh, 20 and, uh, yeah, 20, verse 20. Here's the promise here this morning. If you'll Hear the invitation to joy, to light, um, that you'll connect again to your desire to have a clean, pure heart. Created me a clean heart, O God. Verse 20 says, And the Lord, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. Um, you will see your teacher. And again, our best teacher uh, is Jesus, but you will see him. Listen, in Isaiah 30, we're 700 years before Jesus walks the earth. You will see your teacher. You will see your God. So let's back up to the first of the passage because God's going to say to a very stubborn people, uh, uh, he is lamenting at the beginning of uh, Isaiah 30 with, oh, my stubborn, obstinate people. They're making alliances with anybody and everybody but me. Uh, and, and yet in his long lament leading to verse 15, 
uh, God says, uh, here's where you are, but I am coming to help you get out of where you are. So verse 15, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, here's this stubborn, dirty, confused, broken people of Israel. God says, I am coming to reveal myself to you, and here's how I'm going to help you do that. In returning and rest, you shall find your salvation, and quietness and trust shall be your strength. We're celebrating Reformation Sunday, and the first thesis in the 95 is repentance is to be a way of life. Repentance means simply to turn. It means to change your mind. It is to return to or turn to that place where you can put all your life on, on that, on him. You can trust. When you're repenting, you're trusting. In the Hebrew, it's called a chiasma. So repentance and trust go together. They're, they're part of the X right here. The other X right here is this. In quietness, um, you will find that you really begin to understand uh, what it means to rest. So in returning and rest, the rest, quietness, and God says, here's the path. Now, Jeremiah 6.16 gives the same idea where God says, go stand at the roads. Like if we walked out of CTK today and say, hey, we want to find our way to Porter Square. We would look around and try to figure out which roads do we need to go on. God says to the people in Jeremiah's day, go stand at the roads and look. Look for the good paths where the good way is to be found that you might find rest for your soul. So a little clue as to how you are doing, how I am at doing, is, is that when we are at rest, Jesus said, I will give you rest for your souls. We are not anxious, we're not fearful, we're not discouraged, we're not running away. We are going, whoa, I want more of this. I want to know what more of what it is to have the peace that passes understanding, that guards my heart from anxiety. There's a great essay that I sent to everybody on the reader. If you're new to CTK, love to get it to you. Just talk to me afterwards where Tim Keller talks about all of life is repentance. And he gives four ways to think about repentance. And one of them, he talks about anxiety. And he says this, that when I read it, it really made me mad. Okay? It really made me mad. But Keller says, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of pride to be anxious takes a lot of pride to be anxious. It was like, boom. <laughs> you know? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, you know, when we're prideful, we're insecure. But here's the thing about anxiety. It flows out of the need to be in control. I want to make my life work on my terms. My kingdom come, my will be done, as I hope it's being done in heaven. It takes a lot of pride to be anxious. What does it look like to be free from that level of anxiety? Well, just stick with me because what comes next is also in the Jeremiah 6.16. God says to you, them, look at the past, find the good way, but you don't want to have any part of it. Here's the stubbornness. Nope, not interested, okay? When we get to Isaiah 30, 15, it's, God says, here's how you're going to find how great I am for you to help you. God says, but you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses. 
So the idea here is rather than coming to God and receiving what he has for them, they get on horses, which is a metaphor. Uh, I had fun meeting. Uh, many of you know that Catherine Cook is uh, engaged to uh, James, um, and his last name's going to escape me right now. Uh, but uh, James, uh, he, he and I were talking this week as I'm talking to them about their upcoming wedding, uh, that he says, I think in metaphors. You know, I love metaphors because I was using some metaphors about marriage and how it all comes together. But God uses a metaphor for horses. And the image is, is that rather than coming to me, you get on horses, they're ma uh, metaphors. Uh, and these metaphors are things, what are you riding? What are you putting your life on? Where are you putting your bets on? Things that seem to offer you life and hope and expectation. Yeah, you're a first mountain person. It's all about reputation management. It's all much how much money have I set aside. It's how many degrees I have. It's how much I'm recognized. It's looking at the reviews people put to my journal articles and see the good things they're saying about me. Um, it's all about, it's about me. It's about what I need to know that my life matters and that it is significant. So what are the horses you're riding? <laughs> What's the stable in your story that, here's the thing I'm gonna ride today. I'm gonna get on this beautiful experience, understanding, way of making my life work. It might be that you just love to be in great physical shape and that could be a horse that you ride. Um, uh, you can't pinch an inch, I'm gonna be in great shape, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a physical display of health, but many of you know people who work really hard at being physically, all that stuff can be emotionally train wrecks on the inside. Their hearts are hurting. They're in great physical shape, but they are a train wreck uh, when it comes to what's going on. God said, you said you'll get on these horses, you'll ride away, they'll be swift, and notice what God says. Here's the judgment that comes against us when we run away from God. God says, a thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left all alone like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Um, boo! <laughs> and you're off. You're running. Uh, even maybe today you're feeling like, man, I cannot wait to get out of this church. Uh, I cannot get, wait to get back to what I know and I can manage and I can control. But listen to what God wants to say to you. If you go that way, you're going to end up all alone, sad, and broken. All by yourself. Alone. Uh, nobody there. You're going to be all by yourself. Now notice in this picture, God's saying you're going to die on a hill by yourself. If you go back to Deuteronomy, there's biblical theology behind this, cursed and blessing. Um, to go this way, God says you will die all alone, and the banner over your story at your funeral will be cursed of God. Now nobody's going to say that publicly, uh, but that's going to be the truth. You have abandoned, you've run away from, you've allowed life to rob you of a personal relationship with God and rather being surrounded by family and friends who want to celebrate the character of God in you, you've lost all that. You've forfeited that. Now, here's the amazing good news. Jesus, this is where you see the gospel. You're always looking for the gospel in the scriptures. Jesus has gone ahead of you and he's died on that hill for you. He was cursed of God. He went and died on Mercy Hill, Redemption Hill. 
He was the one who went and died in our place so that the second mountain for us is Calvary. The second mountain is where Jesus died for us on a hill all alone, cursed with the curse you should have received, the curse I should have received. Whoa. You mean, God, you love me that much that you would send your son, your only son, to be cursed with the curse that I deserved? And if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, well, joy to the world as far as the curse is found. God has come to reverse the curse of being all alone to be in the presence of the living God with a pure heart so that you might see him. Uh, the verses that go along here are, are so good because listen to what God says. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Um, I, I, you know, our daughter Claire loves to do icebreakers. And so uh, the question uh, we did around the table a week or so ago was, what are the things that you love more than most people? For me, the answer is the beach. <laughs> uh, what are things that you hate more than most people? Is I hate to wait in line. I hate to come up and get stuck in traffic. I hate it. Okay, and I become very impatient when I show up at a place that I have to stand in line. You know, I don't know if you're like this. I get the grocery store. Where's the shortest line? <laughs> you know, you get impatient. And yet, you know, God says to me, wait for me. Wait for me. God waits for us to wait for him because he's waiting for us to stop and pay attention to how he wants to speak into our lives the joy of having a pure heart. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? You go to Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. It's an ongoing experiencing of being restored to your first love, to your salvation, that what God has declared to us in the gospel is we declared righteous. Again, people who've been in bad church situations under bad theology. If I say this to them, they're kind of like, what, whoa, 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 whoa. Because I'll sit with people who are very broken, sad, things are in, and I'll say, you know what, brother? You've got a good heart. And they're going, are you talking to me? <laughs> I don't have a good heart. My heart is desperately corrupt. He's going to quote scripture to me. So, <laughs> you know, the problem is, that's in Jeremiah 17. You go a little bit further into Jeremiah 32. And somebody knows Jesus, knows that Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new heart. So everybody in here who knows Jesus has a good heart. That God wants to take that goodness that he's put in you, his own son's heart, into your heart and make you feel alive to the goodness of our God. That Jesus loves me this much that he constantly can create in me his heart, a pure heart. Because who has a pure heart? Only Jesus has the perfect heart. We prayed this week in our early Tuesday morning prayer through Psalm 24, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can enter in? Who is this king of glory? He has clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus is the one who had the perfect heart so that you and I can come today and know that because the gospel is true, we have a good heart that he wants to constantly perfect in the love of the Father. His perfect love cast out all fear. His perfect love. He loves you perfectly.
And he wants to create in you a clean heart that says, whoa, <laughs> God, you love me this much? Now, again, look at Isaiah 30. You go look at it today, chew on it, meditate on it. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. But listen to what God says. Um, For a people shall dwell in Jerusalem and Jerusalem, uh, I'm sorry, dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He shall be, surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. If you'll let yourself cry out to God quietly, God help me, he hears it immediately. He will hear your cry, and today can be the day when things change radically. Because you're running away, you're going to end up all alone, but God wants to rescue you from the things that will lead to your loss, your eternal loss. Um, He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher shall not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. The message of the Reformation of the Bible is this, that in the gospel, a righteousness is revealed where because of Christ being the perfect son, the perfect sacrifice, he's made a way for you to know this is the way, walk in it. Walk in the truth of the good news of the gospel that when you were his enemy, he loved you. Walk in the truth of this, that when you were helpless and hopeless and miserable, he showed you mercy. Walk in the truth of this is the way. As I realize how I am messing up my life and how dirty my heart is, even today, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You can come with a clean heart to this table and celebrate with joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your body and your blood so that I would have a clean heart. You can be restored today to the joy of your salvation. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. If you're like me and you mess up and you see how miserable you can become and how hard you can be and selfish and stingy and stubborn and God waits for me to cry out, Christ Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And here's here's the miracle, what happens? My heart's made clean and I can see Jesus. And I can go, thank you, God, that you've made a way for me to see that My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Many of you know that I went to the University of North Carolina with Valerie. That's where we met and fell in love. Um, And so a few years ago, our basketball team won a national championship. Let me tell you a little background of the story of Joel Berry. Uh, Joel comes out of Florida. He's undersized. Nobody believes he could ever become something. He ends up being the MVP in the tournament where we win the national championship in basketball. And, uh, and, but yet to know his stories, he went into that game, he was really banged up and he was hurting, but here's his backstory to who he is and what his life was about. He said his dad would always put him to bed at night and talk to him about, son, I want you to go to bed with a pure heart. I want you to go to bed with a clean heart. 
So Joel Berry walks out into that great arena to play that national championship in front of 60,000 people in person and who knows how many million people are watching it. And he's banged up, he's hurting. Uh, he's had a great tournament up to that point. And it's really quiet before they do the jump ball. But he hears this whistle and it's, it's mother whistling at him, okay? And uh, as she's whistling to me, he's looking around, he looks over the crowd, and there's his mom, his dad, his siblings, and they've all put tattoos on their arms, you know, artificial tattoos, not real ones, um, okay? And they're all flexing their muscles, and it says, believe, believe. And he ends up playing the game of his life and wins the national championship. He was not alone. He was surrounded by family at a point where he needed so much help. And Jesus wants to surround you today and invite you to trust that your teacher is not hidden from you. He wants to teach you in this meal, in this word, that he's given you his heart, and that heart is pure. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you uh, this morning for the hope we share, the joy we share, uh, and the good news of the gospel. And so now we pray that as we come to the table, you'd create within us a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within us. We know the sacrifice you want from us is humble and contrite hearts who see our need for you, that you alone can purify us. Thank you for that great promise in Scripture that we sing through the Messiah, and you will purify the sons and daughters of Levi. So purify our hearts, Jesus, that we might see you even in this meal today, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.